Hey, I'm Hannah, and uh, I'm not that into London. Don't get me wrong. Objectively, I think it's an amazing city. There's so much to do and so many things to see. Intellectually, I find London interesting. But if all those people back home in the States want an honest answer when they ask, Wow, London, that's so cool. You must love it there. I'd have to say, meh? It's okay, I guess? Maybe if I was here at another time in my life, I'd be feeling that sense of wonder and gratitude. I know what it's like feeling like I'm the luckiest person on earth getting to be where I am. I felt that when I lived in Iceland and Poland, and then I left those places. In fact, I've made big leave-it-all-behind-and-only-take-what-fits-in-a-few-suitcases moves eight times in the last six years. If I can be frank with you, I'm tired, and I just want to go back to the home I was so excited to leave behind for so many years. Depressive tendencies aside, I'd like to think I'm a positive person, someone who sees the history and beauty in every place I visit, and who can use challenges as motivation to make a change. So, I'm going to take my relationship with London to the next level by bringing some new people into the mix. I'll be asking interesting people I know or know of to show me somewhere in London that represents what they love about the city. So welcome everyone to London is Okay, I Guess, a podcast about finding your place and a place you'd rather not be. a lot more people on Twitter than in real life. I work as a podcast producer in the museum field, and museum people love Twitter. So for my first engineered London encounter, I reached out to one of the most popular London museum people on Twitter, Sasha Coward. Sasha is a self-proclaimed mermaid hunter, and anyone who describes themselves as a mermaid hunter must, by the laws of nature, be interesting. So when Sasha said to meet him outside the tram station in Greenwich, I didn't even bother to ask what he was going to show me, because I trust strangers from the internet, if they have enough Twitter followers. Sasha. Hey. (laughs) Already here. How's it going? Nice to meet you in person. I wore my Hogwarts tank top that day, so Sasha and I exchanged a standard nerd greeting by identifying which house we belonged to. I'm obviously a Ravenclaw. Good tangle top. Thanks. I had uh, I was just in the gym. I have my Huffle Tough tank top. Nice. I'm a Ravenclaw. I got it on my, my jean jacket. I've got the patch. Formalities taken care of, Sasha and I headed right out from the station to the mystery spot he had in mind. As we walked, he told me a little more about himself. I am a museum freelancer, which basically means I get to travel around the UK and do stuff in museums. My particular passion, or two of them, is queer stuff. So I love queer history and queer activism in museums. And I build escape rooms. And they're two very different weird things that I like to do. And now I get paid to do them, which is pretty bloody awesome. So what are we, we going to see today? What are you showing me? Well, you asked me to take you to somewhere that I thought would make you feel a bit inspired by London. So I thought I'd take you to Greenwich. And it seems really obvious because it's like, if you're an American tourist, you go to Greenwich and you buy the thing and you see the blah and you stand on the Meridian Line. 
I worked here for three and a half years. I was lucky enough to work at the National Maritime Museum, Cutty Sark, Royal Observatory uh, and the Queen's House. And I think there's something more going on here. I love coming here because it's a beautiful space, but there's like streams of history running underneath your feet. So you have some really dark stuff, like this is one of the epicenters for the transatlantic slave trade. This is you know, a space that has gone through abject poverty at some point. And at the moment when you walk around it, you can see the fancy Starbucks and the Marks and Spencers alongside you know, council estates. So even though the center of Greenwich is pretty, there is a lot of deprivation in the borough. It's a really fascinating and complex story. And I think it's like, um, if you were trying to find an example of what London is, a patchwork, weird, hybrid city with history paved on top of modernity, this is it. And also, I know a few good queer stories, so I thought we could talk about those. I'm in. Let's go okay. check it out. All right. So we're looking, with, we're kind of wandering down a really nice paved street and big, fancy, white, slightly imposing buildings. And then you've got the nice rainbow flags at the front, which I have to point out. Greenwich over the past few years has, has its, had its own pride and has become really welcoming for the LGBTQ population, which is great. But if you carry on, you go to the old Royal Naval College, you can see the painted ceiling and you can just wander in and look up. And we'll go and see if it's open. If it's not open, I'll just describe it to you. But it's basically just a beautiful kind of fresco that they've been doing up over a long period of time. And I think the thing I love about London is, you know, I'm a museum guy, so I'm a massive nerd about this. But you can just go anytime you like. If you feel low, if you feel depressed, you can just go and sit in a space with a dead pharaoh. <laughs> or like, you know, you can just go and hang out with an Archaeopteryx or just go and look at like some massive big fresco with loads of imposing white people. I don't know, whatever your fix is, you could. You <laughs> if can imposing white people is your thing, I, I know, London has it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of that going on too. We'll, we'll come, come to that in a moment. But it's, um, that's the cool thing. Most of our museums are free. And when I've had a low point in London, when I felt a bit over it, sometimes I just need to go to a new space by myself and just be like surrounded by stuff, whether that's history or art or music or people, just something that kind of brings me to life in some, some way or form. Okay, so we're sort of coming up to the entrance to the painted hall uh, and this is when we find it's locked. <laughs> so yeah, it's very locked. We ain't going to see the ceiling. It's pretty, go and see it in your own time. This is a very ad hoc tour, Hannah. What Sasha didn't know is that Ad Hoc is my middle name. Okay, not really, but it is Fortune, so pretty close. Our Ad Hoc tour left me curious about this ceiling, so I came back a few weeks later on my own to see what the fuss was all about. Okay, after paying a hefty 12 pound fee, I am about to check out the painted hall. Oh my god. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Okay, that was worth 12 pounds. Oh my God. Wow. This is massive. The entire ceiling is one beautiful, vibrant, heavenly fresco. Oh, and the nice thing here is there are benches, padded benches, so I can lay on the bench and look up at the ceiling. I never would have thought to come in here. I never would have paid 12 pounds to come in here, honestly, if someone hadn't told me it was worth it. 
Okay, so I am laying now on my back on one of these great cushions where I've been for like the last half an hour. <laughs> I kind of was just planning to walk in, like honestly be like, oh, I saw the ceiling. Isn't that great? And walk back out. But um, this is kind of mesmerizing. And it's like not even too crowded here on a Saturday, even when the rest of Greenwich is pretty busy. It, what's really nice is the way this is painted is that a lot of the figures on the ceiling, you know, this kind of classic thing, you know, Sistine Chapel, naked twisting bodies with fabric and fighting. But instead of the Bible scenes, it's like, I think, British history. But a lot of the figures are um, in shadow, are in shadow. And then some of them are like, look as if there's a light shining on them. And so when you look at the ceiling, it looks like light is just coming in from the windows and illuminating certain parts of it but it's actually a cloudy day. So this is just this wonderful trick of the painting that it, the ceiling looks alive. Ah, oh, this is so cool. I'm almost glad we couldn't get into the painted hall originally because it gave me an excuse to wander around Greenwich armed with the new information I got from my time with Sasha. Since a locked door stood in our way at the time, we simply turned 90 degrees in place to check out another incredible view. Facing away from the cluster of glass skyscrapers that is Canary Wharf, Sasha points in the opposite direction. We're standing in between two grand pillared buildings, which are split to allow us an unobstructed view of the palace that sits at the base of a sloping green hill between the river and the famous Greenwich Observatory. Okay, I want to stand at oh, this boy. spot because this, this feels like a powerful moment. So. Yeah. We have Canary Wharf across the River Thames. So we're looking across the River Thames in one direction, standing in the old Royal Naval College. If you go back 100 years, 200 years, that, that was, there was nothing there. This was the Isle of Dogs. But it was basically fields. This whole area was so far away from central London that it was basically the countryside. And this view that is currently obstructed by Canary Wharf was originally completely open so that you could see straight down between the old Royal Naval College. And if we face the other way, that leads straight to the Queen's House. So the Queen's House is one of the oldest buildings here in Greenwich. The, one of the big things was it wanted to have an unobstructed view of the River Thames. So if you look at the old Royal Naval College, we have these kind of pillars, these colonnades on both sides. So they kind of uh, essentially split the building in two so that the Queen could still look at the view, even though there's technically a building between her and the river. I yes, love it. you got it. You got it. So like, you could almost say this whole area of London was sort of started to be built around this one building for this like one monarch. The power of that is crazy. And that's the kind of thing you see with London is it's like massive spaghetti junction, higgle piggle, where nothing really makes sense. When I lived in America, you know, to get from one place to another, you just did a right angle at some point, like straight up Main Street and then down 24th. Right, easy. Can't do that in London. You have these like weird totems of power that are like warping the buildings around them. And the Queen's House is one of them. Then here's the weird thing I have with London. Like on one level, I can see how that's really horrible. I can see, you know, that there's a lot of criticism to be thrown at like the big companies, the kind of the money of capitalism and the impact that that's had on London. But I sort of, as a Londoner, I relish the ugliness. So I love that I can stand here, face one way and look at this like historic center queen's house, her house, and then face the other way and just see this big, ugly set of skyscrapers. 
And that's like what London is. It's like, it's where all these things meet and collide in this messy way. So I like being here because it's really pretty and it's really ugly at the same time. That's kind of my thing. I love that. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I know, I just that's came beautiful. up with it. Mm. Okay. It's very poetic. It's so poetic. My hypothesis in starting this podcast was that by asking London natives and locals like Sasha to show me their favorite parts of the city, I'd get an insider look at the things you don't hear or see when you're just visiting as a tourist. The things that people living in London know. I formed this hypothesis a year ago while I was recording the current season of my other podcast, Museums in Strange Places. I decided to do a season all about museums in my home state of Maryland while I was back for a month visiting my mom. I ended up driving all over the state to interview fascinating people at 21 museums. Before that intense insider's tour of Maryland, I never really felt connected to the state. I thought I wanted to live in Europe and move around every few years. But recording those episodes and getting to tell my own stories about Maryland made me fall in love with the diversity of people and histories and experiences in my state. And since then, I haven't been able to shake a longing to move back and settle down there. It's this experience that prompted me to try something similar in London. I, I love this place. I had three years where I, I, I lived and, well, I worked here and I lived nearby in Limehouse. And it was the first, my first big boy museum job and getting to look at this history a lot of it is really dark and problematic and then seeing that there is there is a movement to try to put that history back in the hands of everyday people of the diverse people that live in this country just felt really good so it was here that i sort of discovered what i could do as an activist and, and the kind of activism that i do which tends to be less, there are banners sometimes, but <laughs> less banners and megaphones and more like painting tours and crafting with kids and things like that. So it kind of made me work out that this was a way that I could have a positive impact. Um, nice beeping as we cross the road. On, on a space and, and call myself an activist without kind of cringing at that term a little yeah. bit. Heading over to the National Maritime Museum which is across the road from the old Royal Naval College. When I first started working, it, it was, you know, it was my dream to work in a museum. I've always loved museums. But when I used to go there as a teenager, there's a feeling when you go to, to a place that you love or a thing that you love, and you feel that it doesn't love you back. And I definitely had that feeling where I was going to museums and I never saw anyone like me uh, or like my queer friends. I never saw relationships that I was having or wanting to have represented. And so the conclusion I had to come to is that they never existed, that I was some weird aberration that popped out, out, out of nowhere. When I came here and, and, and got to do LGBT History Month and to put the voices of queer people back into these spaces and find out the stories that, you know, pirates, there are so many queer pirates there are so many kind of gender-fluid, cross-dressing pirates. There is an entire history of the royalty of, of so many kings and queens who could be described as biromantic or pansexual. Just because they didn't have the words then, uh, it was really great to be supported by this museum and by people to kind of do this research and start to tell these stories. And now I've left, 
it's so moving to see like Pride and LGBT History Month happening every year. And you want, don't want to hear about my career, you want to hear about London. But that's um, No, both are interesting to me. Well, that's kind of what it's about. What makes the city it? interesting is the people that are in it, right? It's like, yeah, it's, London is about like dredging up this... Do you, can I swear on this podcast? Yes, absolutely. Dredging up this old shit and just kind of like reframing it and, and trying to take ownership of it. This is so far from a perfect city. And uh, I don't want to make it sound all too peachy, but if we have a positivity, it's in our, it's in our difference and we're constantly changing all the time so this is the queen's house we've actually got to the queen's house so this is a very pretty space that we can't go into yet because it's not open and it's early in the morning but one of my favorite stories that i found out about when i was working here which has now been made into a major award-winning film is the story of queen anne and sarah churchill ah, so if you've I seen just watched that yeah the favorite Sasha's referring to The Favourite, starring Emma Thompson, Olivia Colman, and Rachel Weiss, which came out in 2018. How was my speech? You were brilliant. Did I lisp? You didn't lisp. I know that was what was so troubling about it, though, the thought that I suddenly did. Nope. Sarah, you must say hello to the little ones. No. It is macabre. Please. No. I love you, but that I will not do. If you love me, love has limits. It should not. Queen Anne was one of the queens of which the Queen's house gets its name. So she was one of two queens. Sarah Churchill, obviously, and her had this incredibly passionate relationship. So they would write love letters to each other. Again, it's it's this classic thing where some historians will say they're just gal pals. They were romantic letters. Like, however you want to read that, they were incredibly passionate letters. And they had nicknames for each other as well. So they would they would kind of give each other um, like nicknames as being kind of common folk. Highly problematic, but you know, these were very, very high-ranking ladies. But the cool thing here is the ceiling of the Queen's house. So when you go inside, you'll come into this huge circular floor. Like a, it's almost like a an op art, optical illusion. And then when you look straight up, you will see all these panels. There's a big circular central panel, and then there's all these panels around the side. And they're all empty. They did at one point house these massive paintings, these huge, huge pieces, uh, a little bit like the painted hall that I was talking about earlier. But these were gifted from Queen Anne to Sarah Churchill. So the way to see this is this was a same-sex love that was powerful enough to bring down the ceiling, right? The ceiling of the Queen's house. So when you walk there and you look up, there's another powerful analogy of it's what's missing. The panels are missing. What happened to them? Well, they were taken by Sarah Churchill and then put oh. into the Marlborough estate. So Sarah Churchill then became uh, Sarah Marlborough and the Marlborough estate now owns those panels. So those panels are now mounted in that scene. So you can still see them, but out of where they were originally meant to be. So this was a gift from Anne to, you know, to her lover. And it was just so amazing to have worked here a year and a half and not heard this story and then realised this massive ponderous ceiling over my head was actually this queer story and it was you know the fact the panels are missing and the story is is missing still to this day you won't see there's no text that tells you that we're not there yet i think that they talk about the fact that queen anne gave it to sarah but they don't explain how big a gift that was and what that meant about these women's friendship dearest queen you are mad giving me a palace it is a monstrous extravagance mrs molly we are at war we won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh! Oh, I did not know that. 
around the time people were writing about the the fears of the inappropriate nature of their love, that it was excessive, that they were seen kissing and holding hands, that's sort of kind of seen as gossip or hearsay. So again, it was just gal pals. Slander on very decent gal pals. Like, I don't know about you, but I often just like give the ceiling of my palace to my mates. Like, that's just a a really general bespoke gift. Yeah, frescoes are what I do for my my friends as well. Chumps, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, That and kissing. Yeah, yeah, kissing and making out and having sex and writing love letters. Like, it's totally Just gal pals. Yeah. Me and gal pals. (laughs) But like, that's, that's what I love is that there are these stories littered all over the place um, and this is one of my favourites and you can come here for free anytime and if you're feeling like disconnected maybe from your queer heritage as well go and like lie on the floor of the I've done this and no one can tell you you're not allowed to do it because you were totally allowed to do it lie on the floor on your back and just look up at the ceiling and just kind of remember how people like us have been woven into the fabric of history since the dawn of time uh, and we're only just starting to like kind of piece out these these strands and actually start to tell these stories and give them some credit pretty cool shit yeah right pretty cool shit to me this is why this is why i'm doing the podcast because while that does exist and i could go lay on the floor and look at it would i have ever thought to do that or known that that was there if i didn't talk to someone who knows these things right so it's the people that add the layer of knowledge when i worked here we were trying to get more diverse audiences to come so the local African and um, Caribbean community, queer people, young people, they all have a stake in it. And like you were saying, it's this, this history that people don't necessarily know. I didn't know that the Queen's House was like this amazing queer story. And a lot of our kind of Caribbean audiences we work with did not know that a lot of the collections related to a really dark time in their history are in a gallery right there. And if they want to, they can go and see it. But the invitation wasn't put there. The space wasn't welcoming. It wasn't made accessible. When I came back to Greenwich, I also visited the Queen's house. As soon as I was inside, I headed straight for the main hall to take a look at the ceiling. I am in the Queen's house, and I think this is the ceiling that Sasha was talking about. It's a big room with this incredible relief work and then big empty spaces where you can imagine that that paintings would have been. Um, But I don't see any signs that tell me what was here. Excuse me? Do you you know, is this... Do you know that ceiling? Is this the one that um, the Queen gave to... um, To to Marlborough. To to the Duchess of Marlborough. Yeah. Do you know if there's any text around here that says that that's what it is? Just for... I'm doing it for a project. about the original ceiling. Is it the laminate? Or do I kind of have to know what I'm looking for here? Oh, <laughs> so if you pick yeah, up the laminate. Yeah. So oh, okay, wow, original, look at that. It looks a lot like the over. Royal Painted Hall. That's what it is. In my, I mean, it's the same thing. They just moved it. They just moved it. I think I'm not going to lie on the floor. But I know that I could if I want to. From the balcony um, around the Great Hall in the room where the... Um, the painted ceiling that Anne gave to Lady Marlborough was, there's a window and you can look down onto the front porch, I guess, of the Queen's house and uh, kind of imagine, you can look straight into Canary Wharf um, and it's very easy to imagine what it might've looked like as like countryside through the Royal College and kind of imagine what it would be like to stand here so powerful that you got to uh, push buildings aside like a, 
architectural Moses in order to preserve your, your view. So that, that is a challenge with London. There's all this history, there's all these stories. And then you have to like get in the club. Like you have to have the secret handshake and the, to, to know who to ask so you find out those stories. I definitely didn't just suddenly learn this. I had to be told by someone else who basically took my hand and was like, this is a place you need to know about. You work here, you need to know about this. So again, not necessarily a positive for London, but just like a fact about London. Part of what's making it hard for me to feel like I love London or I'm connected is the, I feel like I'm still on that tourist level in some sense. Like when I talk to people, especially people back home, uh, I'm like, I live in London, like that must be amazing. London is beautiful, it's perfect, it's gl glimmering. And I'm like, have you been to Whitechapel? Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, there are pretty parts, yeah, but there's so much more and I feel like I'm only allowed at this point to access the good level, the I love it, yeah. it must be amazing, what a dream to live here and I wanna be able to I want to be able to go another level deeper and understand racism here and understand like the bad stuff too, because that's what makes a city full and, and meaningful, like a real person, like, you know, kind of past the honeymoon stage. Yeah. Before wrapping up our ad hoc tour and heading back to the Costa for coffee, I asked Sasha what advice he had for me as I struggled to figure out how I could fit into London. If you're drifting off at this point in the podcast, now's the time to listen closely again, because I think this is really good advice. One of the things that I think for you will help you connect to London is to find a space that you can make yours, that you can create your own stories, your own meaning to it. Because if you come here without that, it's just big white buildings and it's pretty and it's an overpriced latte. You know, that's all it is. But again, if you, if you start creating your narratives and looking around the corners, some of the dirty, grubby corners too, then you can start to put your, your roots down. So somewhere like Whitechapel, I used to live there. I love Whitechapel, but it smells of farts and it's dirty and there are one-legged pigeons everywhere. There is huge kind of kind of racial and cultural divide there. There's a lot going on that isn't good, but I, I kind of learned to love it because I found my spaces, I found people and things and ways to connect to it. That's how I felt with Denver. When I first got there, no one here knows what Denver is. <laughs> Sorry, Denver. But it was like, isn't that in like Dynasty? And is it, it's in the mountains. So you must be snowboarding all the time, which is kind of true. But it, was, it wasn't until I started going, I love this little like taquito place. That's my yeah. place. I love this little bar, which is like really cool and queer. Oh, there's a really nice cafe with really crap bohemian artwork that I want to go and hang out. Like it was the kind of the, it wasn't the big flash shiny monuments. It wasn't the glorious mountains and the sweeping vistas that made me love Denver. It was my own personal story. So you've got to cool. find your own. I was really motivated by Sasha's high energy optimism and passion for life, and I wanted to put some of what I'd learned from our conversation into practice. Sasha recommended finding my own place in the queer community and finding the spaces that I felt comfortable in. And, well, that would require me to come out as bisexual, wouldn't it? The fact is, I only started coming out to myself a few months ago. I'm guessing it would have been easier to figure this all out before becoming happily married to a straight man. But growing up in the evangelical church and being a diehard believer until my early 20s meant there wasn't even room for exploration of heterosexual desire, 
let alone anything remotely queer. The feminist satire website Reductress recently ran a pretty hilarious headline. Bi woman in a straight relationship celebrates pride with an identity crisis. I felt so seen. I haven't been keeping this newly labeled queerness a secret per se. It's just that it doesn't really come up naturally when you're in a committed heterosexual relationship. Despite wanting to be a part of the queer community, I felt, okay, feel fear that my relationship and my lack of an I always knew I liked women too story meant I'd just be taking up space that didn't belong to me. But after recording this episode with Sasha, I realized that's a mostly unfounded fear and that part of finding my place in London could be finding my place in LGBTQIA London. I took a baby action step a few days after Sasha and I met up by going to the Pride-themed late-night event at the Science Museum with a friend I'd met off Bumble, the dating app that has a BFF feature where you can swipe for friends. I put some thought into my appearance, channeling my inner Betty Who, and honestly, it was really nice to walk around a space full of queer people knowing that most of them weren't assuming I was straight. So, here's to fingers crossed meeting new people, being brave enough to be honest, taking up space, and falling in love with London. Thanks for listening to London Is Okay, I guess. If you thought this episode was okay, please, please, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and share this show with your friends, lovers, colleagues, and any random stranger you see who looks like they might get a kick out of it. If you like the sound of my voice, check out my other podcast, Museums in Strange Places, where I explore the world one museum at a time.